Hey everybody, and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. I'm Josh, and today I'm going to be talking about The Stone Sky, the third and final book in the Broken Earth series by N.K. Jemisin. So, let's attune to the magic of books. So, I am going to try really hard to have a slightly longer, spoiler-free section here for y'all. I thought this book was just incredible. Yeah, I finished the book, and I put it down, and I just thought about it for a few minutes. It was just such a brilliant ending to what's been so far an amazing series. Beautiful, you know, it made sense. There was no, oh, that wouldn't happen, or contrivances. Granted, I had a few small issues that I'll get into, but again, they are very small in comparison for the whole series. Um, Again, this book, we are focusing on three perspectives, and I really like that she's been able to keep that three-perspective scene throughout the whole the, the series, where the first book is the three different phases of Esun's life, and then the second book is Esun, Nasa, Nasun, and Shafa, and then you have this book, and we'll talk about it later, but it's the spoiler-free section, so I really loved everything that we learned in this book, everything that we got to see, which was more than in other books. I felt like the atmosphere of the book was still just an incredibly unique and really holds you in, as always. Um, this book has a lot more of the plot rather than the character development, and I think that's partially because it's the third and you know final book in the series. We needed to have that brought forth, but at the same time, I don't feel like it overshadowed our character development, so I thought that was very nice. That was very very good. Um, her writing, of course, is still incredibly unique and beautiful. She, you know, you'd think after three books of writing partially in this second person form that you'd get tired of it or that she would slip or, you know, maybe she'd move out of it, but she doesn't, you know, N.K. Jemison doesn't. She sticks with it and she nails it, you know, even in this last book, just continues everything. I would be interested probably in reading more about this, you know, about this world, but whether she ever puts anything out or not, I think the where it's set is just a perfect ending, and to add more either in the before or the after could ruin it. As much as I'd love to read more, I I think it's safe to just drop it and leave it, and that's... What I think she's doing, I haven't seen anything that she's writing, anything more about it, but that's just my my opinion. So, well, you know, I can't I can't say that I like enjoyed reading this book because of how many like deep things it talks about and like important things that it like references, but it's a great book to read. Like it, it's not one that I was smiling the whole time and laughing the whole time. There's a couple scenes where I was, but that's not the point of these books, of course. And you know, it's just definitely needs to be read by anybody and everybody who can. It's it's that good. All right, so I think we're going to just move into the spoiler section now. I just can't. I don't have anything else to say beyond it's an amazing book. I gave it five out of five stars. It's worth reading, even if it's tough to read sometimes. So, now into the spoilers. Let's talk about our three perspectives that we get to see here. We Our three perspectives, of course, are Esun, Nasun, and Hoa. That was 
great. Uh, just a good stroke on N.K. Jemison's part to put Hoa's perspectives in. They were so informative. They were so they were so important and helpful. I I loved them. They were some of my favorite scenes. I, I loved, of course, more learning about Asun. Nasun is still somewhat my least favorite of the three. I'm sorry, she is She's as important as she is. I just don't connect with her as much, and that's totally fine. So. Let's just talk about Hoa first, his perspective. He was there at the original Shattering. He was born and bred. He was, you know, made up, created to run the magic of Sil Anagist, the city slash network of cities where they use magic for everything. And they are trained to control the obelisks so they can basically start you pump magic into the core of the earth and the magic comes, more magic comes out than you put in. And I loved that she talked about how, you know, they use magic for everything, but magic is not enough. You know, the more you have doesn't mean you can never have enough magic. If you have 10 gallons of magic, well, you'll need 11 gallons because you have all the things you want to do. And if you had 11 gallons, well, then all of a sudden you'll need 12 and and so on. That there's no, there's no ever, oh, I have enough magic. It's always wanting more. And I love that it, you described, it described all their powers. You understood, oh, they talk through the earth and they, they were these built after these people that the Silanic, I'm going to mess it up every time. I'm sorry, guys. The Silanagastine people had, you know, captured and, and then not being able to control the obelisks and re, and then what was her name? Kalenli helping them, you know, like figure out emotions and connections and them deciding to rebel. That was so cool. And I just loved she talks about NK Jemison in Hoa's sections talk about how the Silanagistine they loved life. They said, Oh, life is sacred. You know, you're not allowed to murder. Life is important. And then at the same time they're like, well yeah, life's important, but it's only important because only a life people generate magic. And we need magic. And so they've taken these these people and they've basically turned them into magic of magic creating vegetables and they they just live in this pain and suffering and uh, I mean that's not really appear painful but they just they aren't living they're just in a coma generating magic and being manipulated and abused and that's just crazy and learning that you know the magic response to their emotion and it creates you know if you have more of an emotional response to your magic then it can create more learning that the onyx obelisk the powerful obelisk was kind of had like the absorption of all these people's souls and their their knowledge and their mind that's why it wouldn't let certain people connect to it or it would or it would reject you is that was just so cool and so powerful i loved it was just so important and so cool to see them decide okay we're going to go against what we've been told what we've been planning for our whole whole lives you know and they go to the moon and then they they're getting ready and they're going to turn the magic back on Silanagustine and, and kind of just short circuit all of the magic. And then the earth strikes back and turns them into stone, you know, makes them a part of itself. And oh, it was just, you know, you see like the beginning of the first Guardians with the core core metal. And, and then they have to change because the earth is taking control of some of the obelisks. They, they shoot the obelisks. You know, they shoot the moon, and they blow it out of the way, and then they fall to Earth. And I was like, whoa, this is... It was just epic. It was so cool and so important from Hoa's perspective. And then we learn that they've been around for all these times, and sometimes they forget who they are, and sometimes they remember, but they're different. It was... 
just so in so good, so important. Uh, all right, let's let's skip. Let's talk. Stop talking about Hoa for a second. As cool as and amazing as he is, let's talk about Asun. Now, in this one, Asun, since she's touched the obelisk gate, can no longer do orogeny, or she turns into she starts turning into stone. And that didn't make sense for me exactly, but then it started to make sense after we see some more points of view that basically once you've linked and opened up the obelisk gate, you're you are attuned kind of and your cells start to realign into the crystal because that's the only way to access the gate. And then every time you use your erogeny it, it progresses it. Now I like that she was able to somewhat control what parts get used what parts of her body turn to stone for what at what time, you know, based on how much she's used. And I really liked that this book was really all about as soon finding a family and like she's had a family the whole time she's had she had jija and nasun and uke in the first book right but that's destroyed and ripped apart and then she's on her own but gets tonk fee and then in the second book she's part of the the castrum but you know obviously that gets destroyed at the end and then we're in this book and she's got lerna and she's got ika and she has hoa and just her realizing that she can trust these people and that they are with her to the end for who she really is. Like, this is the first time for her that she hasn't been, well, not the first time, the second time. Because when she was on the island with Alabaster and Corundum and all them, she she was who she was. But this is like one of the first times for her, really, that she can be who she is. She can actively participate. You know, these people like her and love her and want to be a part of her life. And I feel like that was what this book was. It was just showing like, hey, Esun, you know, you don't have to be alone, even though you think you do. You have all these people who care. And she helps lead them to the nice calm where she's killed everybody. And I was just so, it was so nice to see her interacting with people and her relationship with Lerna, you know, increased. And I have to say that when they were traveling to Core Point and they were being attacked by other stone eaters. Okay, that's one thing. I meant to say this earlier, but I think this book had more just cool scenes in general than any other than the other two books. Not saying there weren't any, this one just had more cool scenes to me, as in when they're traveling to Core Point through the earth and they are being attacked and she can sense them as like rolling forces coming at her and then she tries to use the earth to throw up, you know, things and that was just impressive and, and so sad that Lerna just dies. He's gone. He got cut off. They took him and he died. And that was that. And it was like, they get out the other side and they're like, yeah, we all made it. And like, wait, where's Lerna? And he's like, he just, he got taken away by those other people and killed. And I was just like, that's, that's so tough. That was so, so sad. But you know, it's the final time she has to go. So I really liked that part of Esun that it really was about her journey and her growth and her connection with others that really enables her in the end. And we will talk, of course, about the end in just a second. But first, I want to talk about Nasun. So Nasun and Steel and Shafa are going to... She's going to Core Point because she's figured out that she can have a spare key to open the obelisk gate and control the obelisk gate and, you know, crash the moon into the earth and destroy all life and, you know, the whole world. Now, 
Again, with Nessun, I just, there's a couple things. I still have a bit of trouble seeing her as being so much more powerful with her erogeny slash magic than Essun. Now, I can chalk it up to her being younger and more adaptable, but I still, that's my only issue really with her. She's 10 to 11. This book's been maybe a year and a half, maybe 12. She's been actively using her erogeny for about a year in this book, right, in these books, because she wasn't using it before. She was trained very minimally before, and, and but she's able to overpower her mom in every sense of the magic. And so I said, that's just a little bit unrealistic for me. But I'm willing to let it slide because just because of, of how good the story is. So as they go to core point and Shafa, you know, is, cl- is as close to the core as he has ever been and, you know, obviously rejecting the core and it turns him into a cripple. Uh, I still hate you, Shafa, even though you're mostly a vegetable for this book. Seeing Nasun, care for him and, you know, appreciate him. It does... I don't I just really felt like the essence of a 10 to 12 year old was captured in this book more than in the second book. So I feel like Nasun's character was better in this book. I can't say it was perfect, but it was much better to me in this book than it was in other books. Learning how to use her magic and, you know, being able to pull it from things, that made sense. Um, there's another little thing before we get into the final thing, the, the inconsistency of Father Earth, at least to me, where half of the time, Father Earth is too big and too powerful to notice individual humans. And then at the same time, oh, Father Earth is aware enough to pick out individual humans and mark them and know which ones are which. Eh, again, super small, not a big complaint, but like, like, oh yeah, Father Earth, he's so massive. He just hates all humans, even though it was only a small percentage of humans who like, you know, attacked him and hurt him. And then it's like, yeah, but he specifically picked out the people, like the Hoa and his crew to turn them into stone eaters, and then he also figured out how to, you know, specifically attack Shafa. Even though Shafa has the core point, the core stone, and it's reje- he's rejecting it, so I can kind of see it. But either way, I just was that was a little inconsistency for me. So let's talk about the final piece that <clears throat> is going to happen here. We have Esun at core point holding on to the onyx. Uh, obelisk, the most powerful, and being connected to most of the other obelisks, while her daughter Nasun has the 26 or 28 obelisks that she's been able to bond with, but is using the magic and a backdoor kind of key to get in, and their fight that they rage and they fight against each other, and Nasun's just trying to get to Nasun and be like, I love you, stop, like, don't destroy the world, and Nasun is so wrapped up, and no, you're trying to hurt me, you're trying to get me, and she creates a wall, and then Nasun starts turning to stone, and Esun's turning to stone, but she doesn't care, and then just the most beautiful, amazing part in the whole series is that Esun you know, wins. She gives up. She says, I, we can keep fighting and I can hold out against her long enough that we both turn to stone and neither of us get what we want. Or I can just give up and love my daughter. And she does. And she says, I, you know, she reaches out and I don't know if I have it written down right here, but I think I do. Just that, you know, Esun was reaching for her and she turned to stone and she just kind of gave in and said, you are, I'll let you do it. And just the emotions that ran through Nasun that she loved her mom, that she, her mom loved her, that her mom cared for her and was reaching to her. 
That was just heartbreaking and so amazing. And then Nasun choosing to follow through with her mom's wishes. And, you know, Nasun kind of set it all up. So all it had to do was, was say yes. And then Nasun does. And the obelisk gate catches the moon. And then all of the obelisks go back to the core. And the onyx obelisk goes back to the ocean to kind of hide. And I was just so amazing and then nasun just sits with her mom for a couple days and and nasun started to turn to stone which i appreciated because i was a little confused as to why she hadn't earlier but just everybody comes and talks to her tonk fee comes and talks to her eek is not there but she you know other people who came with them come to talk to her and take care of her and hoa's there and talking to them and then we learned that steel was one of hoa's you know, compatriots, one of the first stone, one of the first stone eaters to ever be, and that they're okay with each other. They weren't ever like hostile, hostile. Some of them were, but those two weren't. And uh, it's just amazing. And then we learn that Hoa has been the narrator basically the whole time through all of Essen's second person. He's been telling Essun again while she's been kind of reforming because we've learned that in this book that that's how when somebody starts turning to stone, that's how they create a new stone eater. And so he's creating, he's turning Essun into a stone eater so she could be, you know, with him forever because he loves her. And he's telling her all about her past and what she did and what she was thinking. And it was like, oh, man, this makes perfect sense. I see it all. Like, you did. It was such a good job, such beautiful writing. And then saying, you know, like, hey, you know, when she comes out, she's like, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to go, you know, let's go together? And she's like, hmm, okay, let's do it. And then like, well, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to go, you know, make the world better. And that like totally sums up. Everything as soon as was doing and had been doing forever was trying to make the world better and help people. And that was, it was just a beautiful book. Now, do I think this book covered less weighty topics? Maybe a few, but I think any topic that it did cover in this one, it really, really nailed and just made you rethink everything you thought you knew about it. So that's totally fine. But that is going to wrap up my discussion of The Stone Sky by N.K. Jemison. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks to David Hillowitz for the intro and outro music. Of course, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to libromancypod at gmail.com. You can... I've got a website, libromancy.podbean.com. It's got a calendar, so you can follow up with what we're going to be reading next. You can email me from there. You know, Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. That really helps out a lot. And remember, to attune to the magic of books. Music